You and I are just like these two criminals in so many ways. We are just like them. These two robbers, which the sacred scripture informed us about, we apart from Christ are spiritually dead. We are in need of a savior. That's not our perspective prior to coming into a relationship with Christ, but it is the Lord's. Jesus was born ultimately to die. And we are here this afternoon seeking, using our sanctified imaginations, seeking to be right there. Pastor Robbie has already begun this journey for us in that first word. And these criminals, they were crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps in some way, this was Pilate's way in his own psyche. As Jesus stood before him, and remember, Pilate said, I find nothing wrong with this man. And they did cry out, give us Barabbas, crucify him. In his heart of hearts, Pilate had doubts. So what does he do? He places Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, crucified, one criminal on his right and one criminal on his left, both who have committed crimes worthy of this heinous form of execution, an horrific means of death. Least we forget this afternoon, no one took the Lord's life from him. He gives it now. In John chapter 10 and John chapter 15, Jesus declared, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. This, our second word, is found in the Gospel of Luke, the 23rd chapter, beginning as I read with the 39th verse. One of the criminals, the thief or robber who hung there, hurled insults at him, blasphemed and vilified him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other first, the other criminal rebuked and admonished his fellow criminal. He said, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, the same condemnation, the same judgment as I am, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. And then the second criminal said, but this man has done nothing wrong, declaring the innocence of Christ as he hung there on the cross. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, into your realm, a realm of royalty and glory. And then Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise, a place of future happiness and glory and awe. The three of them, this conversation, this historical narrative being played out, Imagine yourself there, being crucified between two thieves as if he were the worst offender of the three. I do believe that was Pilate's intent. In some authoritative, passively aggressive way, throwing it up into the face of the Jewish leaders, 
of those who sought again and again, taking the life, how they schemed, how they plotted, how they wanted this day to occur, how Judas thought by betraying and bringing in and denying, although he did not understand it, denying Jesus' way and the way that the Father desired him to go, thinking that Jesus would rise up as he was being arrested. We know that that was not the case. Today we have two dissimilar ways of viewing the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's portrayed very vividly, very, very realistically, because we are just like these criminals. These criminals and in and through their lives, the scourge, bloody Jesus, the crown of thorns, beaten, spat upon, mocked, stripped naked, scourged. Images from the passion of the Christ come to our minds. Isaiah prophesied regarding these moments of which we are seeking to experience and of which I speak. In Isaiah 52, there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. If you've ever thought that the passion of the Christ was over the top, I think it was underplayed. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, these two criminals. For he bore the sin of many for you and I and made intercession for the transgressors, as we just heard Initially, as recorded in the Gospels of Mark and Matthew, both of these thieves at one point joined with those who were present for this spectacle. The Roman soldiers, the Jewish leadership, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, those who had been seeking a way to see this moment, this historical narrative fulfilled, mocking, swearing, cursing, the first criminal obviously had a fear of death. Hanging on the cross with no hope with respect to eternity, lacking what you might call relational identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. His words, as we will see, he only desired a reprieve, a stay of execution, a last-minute pardon, if you will, and for Jesus to miraculously remove them from their present state. In Matthew 27, he describes it thus. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled, hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. And then in verse 44, in the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Yet Jesus would utter not a word. 
In these moments, he was a man of few words, of specific words. He was about his father's business. Clearly, this first criminal had a hardened heart. My heart is still hard in many respects. I'm just like this criminal, and so are each of you today. He had a hardened heart. He was a schemer. He demanded that Jesus save himself, the other thief, and him. He seemed to be saying like this, if you do not save us, Jesus, immediately on my terms, then I will not recognize or confess you as Savior, as Messiah. Paul once declared in Corinthians, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Matthew Henry wrote the following concerning this unrepentant criminal. There are some that have the impotence, the audacity and nerve to rail at Christ, to denounce and to attack him, and yet the confidence to expect to be saved, removed from their present crises. It's like me. It's like you. By him. And then to conclude that if he does not save them, he is not to be looked upon as the Savior. Again, to quote Matthew Henry. That very well was a description to greater or lesser degrees to each and every one of us here assembled this afternoon. I can assure you that saving himself from this present crucifixion and sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary was the last thing that the Lord Jesus Christ would have ever done. He had been there in the garden, not my will but thy will be done. He was committed and about his father's good pleasure. We live at times with a subtle hidden attitude of the heart which says it doesn't matter what Jesus did and paid the penalty for sin or we unwillingly to permit Jesus to authentically be the Lord of our life or if Jesus won't accomplish for me what I desire, then I won't believe in him. It's not like we are outwardly mocking, outwardly cursing him, making fun of him, pleading for him to come down off the cross and demonstrate himself as the son of God. But the attitudes of our hearts and Jesus, he is the king of hearts, betray us. This first criminal was just like us in so many ways, making deals, wanting to come to Christ on our own terms. But the second robber, he began to demonstrate a very different heart attitude towards Jesus as they hung there, crucified, in agony. How is it that this second thief in those moments would begin such a conversation as I just related to us from sacred scripture? How is it that any one of us here today would ever come to know Christ in this way? I believe that he and the other criminal heard this first word of Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Perhaps this second criminal and perhaps the first had heard of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've heard of his notoriety of the miraculous. Even though, obviously, they were about a lifestyle that was worthy of the, such, the death that they were now experiencing. This second thief, in a moment between the already 
and the not yet, just like we're living here today. He wasn't going to be able to change the past, but something pricked his heart. Perhaps those words of Jesus, where he began to converse and rebuke his fellow criminal. In those moments, I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ began to draw him, it's obvious, into a relationship with himself so that we might gather here today, centuries later, and come to understand the breadth and the height and the depth and the width that Father God has for us in that he would send his only begotten son to die. This second criminal experienced nothing less than God's grace and mercy. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This second criminal declared Jesus' innocence. Who among us here today, those who would claim to know Christ, would not testify of a similar experience? I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I would bet my life that every believer here would declare what this second criminal is declaring. We are just like him. We are sinners and we are sufferers. Those of us who have come to know the Lord by his grace and mercy, we have a blessed assurance The second criminal postured himself, who was one in need of Jesus' grace and mercy. He began to understand that this indeed was the Son of God. He would hear the words of the centurion, truly, this is the Son of God. Both of these criminals were guilty of the same type of offenses, and yet one of them vilified and mocked and sought Jesus to save him in a way that was contrary to the will of God. Yet the second one humbled himself, presented himself thus. Can you imagine hanging on a cross and the grace of God coming to you, opening up your eyes, removing you from the darkness, bringing you in to the marvelous light, and Jesus would indeed die first, you recall. Passover, Let's not let them live. The Roman soldier came to break the legs of the two criminals. They came to Christ, and he had already perished. That's looking ahead a bit. But Jesus came to fulfill the law, and thus his death was fulfilled. So Jesus' response to this second criminal, yes, today you will be with me in paradise, are words which he came to know and cherish in his heart of hearts. Have you done so as this second criminal? Have you come to know Christ in that way? You and I were just like these criminals. And in this historical narrative, there are two perspectives. One is to vilify Christ, seek him in our own way, or the other is to humble our hearts. And in moments, days like this, in places just like this, the grace of God comes and begins to soften these hardened hearts, calling us into rather 
compelling us into either a deeper walk with him. Each believer today, walk deeper with the Lord. But for us who are seeking, he's calling you today. He's calling you today. Whether sitting or kneeling, allow me to lead us in this prayer now. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, we adore you for the gift of glory won for us this day by your death upon the cross. We pray that as your cross is lifted up among us, all who see it might lay hold of you and with you know the sure and certain hope that heaven is their home. Amen.